Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, episode 32, for the love of the game, let's get after it. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Episode 32 for the love of the game. Uh, so obviously, uh, everybody knows Jewish holiday season. This time of year makes it really difficult for me to schedule consistent content. So to my legion of loyal fans, I'm doing my absolute best to stay current and stay on top of things. I can't let you guys down. You know how it goes. Uh, before we get into tonight's sports topics, as I'm sure you have all heard, um, and you will hear on this show. So I chose uh, tonight's intro song, uh, Knock Knock by Mac Miller, um, for this episode. Obviously, uh, the news came out uh, since last episode that uh, the troubled rapper and uh, exceedingly talented guy OD'd and died at the age of 26. Sad stuff. So here's to you, Mac Miller. Uh, rest in peace, my man. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, things are a little bit easier up there. Uh, so lots happened since the last episode, lots to discuss, including my New York Giants and their putrid display the first two weeks of the season, and we'll delve into them a little bit later in the show. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Major League Baseball season's coming down the stretch. The New York Yankees have been exceedingly frustrating and inconsistent. But a little bit of a silver lining for them going forward. Aaron Judge is back, and he's clearly the straw that stirs the drink for this Yankee team, so that's good. Um, they have just taken two from the Red Sox, and at the moment of recording, they're currently up 6-4. Uh, they, they can go for the sweep. Um, Luis Severino, who has sucked for the last couple of weeks, looked good last night against the Sox. Six innings, one run. If he gets back to his first half of the season-type performances and the bats get a little warm, maybe, just maybe, this lifeless and frustrating team can actually win a playoff game this postseason. I will hopefully have an in-depth baseball show soon where I bring on some old guests to talk about the playoffs and recap our preseason predictions. So baseball fans, please stay tuned. NBA season is around the corner. Training camps are opening soon. Thank God for NBA season. With the NFL being the way it is, the world needs NBA season. And more importantly, I need NBA season. If I can't have beach season to make me happy, NBA season makes me happy, even if the Knicks consistently make me unhappy. The greatest league in all the land. And yes, there will be a major, major NBA preview episode coming. Can't wait to do that. I'll be talking about our boy Frankie Nilakina gaining 10 to 15 pounds of muscle and looking absolutely yoked. You bet your ass we'll be talking about him uh, going forward. But a lot of 
great storylines uh, upcoming for this NBA season. Um, and there's one team right now who makes the Knicks look like a completely functional and model franchise. And given the Knicks, that's a really hard thing to do. The Minnesota Timberwolves situation is really crazy. And this story is what makes the NBA so awesome and compelling, and especially NBA Twitter, because there is nothing like NBA Twitter. So there's been a little rift, I should say a major rift, between Jimmy Butler, who's a top five, top 15 NBA player, all-NBA type player, and Carl Anthony Towns, the young star for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Butler is a hard-nosed, no-nonsense guy who was never projected to be anything special and has turned himself into an all-NBA player. And Carl Anthony Towns, who is the number one overall pick and a highly touted recruit out of high school and then from Kentucky, well, Butler thinks he's not tough enough. And now Jimmy Butler, someone who Minnesota traded major pieces for during last year's draft, wants out of soda. And he will be a free agent after next season. So the Wolves are in a major bind on what to do uh, with him this season. But wait, there's more. It turns out that the root of the conflict may be beyond the hardwood. It may not just be that Jimmy Butler thinks Carl Anthony Towns is soft. According to NBA Twitter, and you know I believe that NBA Twitter is the gospel and they know all, it may be that Jimmy Butler messed around with Carl Anthony Towns' lady. Just unbelievable drama. NBA Twitter is all for this. What an incredible story. I, I don't think you get stories like this the way they're reported in any other sport. The NBA is just the best. And Tom Thibodeau, the coach and GM of the Minnesota Timberwolves, the dreaded coach-GM combo, which hasn't worked well in years, has been trying to recreate the old Chicago Bulls that he coached, uh, say around circa 2011. The Timber Bulls, as the NBA Twitter sphere would say. And now it looks like not only is he stuck in the year 2011, which is not a good situation for the current NBA, but Jimmy Butler wants out. It's going to be a long, tough year for Minnesota this year, who just made the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Not a whole heck of a lot to build on for them. Uh, by the way, Jimmy Butler says he wants to be a Nick, uh, along with possibly going to the Nets or the Clippers, uh, a big market with uh, cap space to attract another star. Now, the, since I am the voice of reason for all Knicks fans, do I want Jimmy Butler? Well, that depends. Does he come with a, in a package with Kyrie Irving? Do they come together? Sure, sign me up. Is he coming solo at a max contract? No thanks. And I am not trading any young assets for him either. If they get him, signing him in the offseason, uh, assuming another guy is coming with him, great. Solo, no thanks. Switching to tennis for a little bit, shout out to Novak Djokovic for winning the U.S. Open, his 14th major. Novak is officially back, and men's tennis is better for it. He was absolutely fantastic. He's now uh, tied for third with Pete Sampras for the most majors of all time. What a career he's had and what a resurgence he's had in the last couple of months. Quick take on the Serena Williams situation in the finals. She was wrong, straight up. She should know the rules. And the ref acted by the letter of the law. He didn't step outside of the rules. He was 100% within the rules in terms of what he called. Now, was the ref a little bit in his feelings? Yes. 
Should he have? Should he give more slack because it's the finals and you want the players to dictate what happens in the final? Yes. But he has a history of being a hard ass to players like Novak Djokovic and Nadal in the finals of major tournaments. So this wasn't a female discrimination thing, as Serena Williams made it to be. When she made it a global sexism issue, that is when she really lost me. Not every call in sports is a microcosm for global political issues. The fact is, is that she's a sore loser because she doesn't lose that often. And she's been a sore loser for a while. Now, is there a double standard between men's tennis and women's tennis um, outside of players pay, which is another subject altogether? Sadly, there is. See, the girl who got a penalty for changing her shirt on a hot day, which was like 97 degrees with crazy humidity, and got a penalty for that when men changed their shirts in between games when she was wearing a sports bra, so it's not like anything crazy was showing. That's ridiculous. That's a double standard, and that's quite frankly not fair because the men do that all the time. But Serena's beef, that was not sexist. However, I will give Serena credit. After the crowd was clearly upset about what had gone down in her final against Naomi Osaka, after Osaka won, Serena did display a lot of class uh, in consoling the champ uh, Osaka and getting the unruly, uh, not unruly, but the, um, the angry crowd to be quiet so Osaka can you know, have a decent acceptance speech. She, re Serena really showed a tremendous amount of class there. Uh, good, but unfortunately, it got, Osaka's championship got overshadowed by the situation, which is really the biggest loss in all this because she's a 20-year-old bright star um, in which women's tennis really needs some, some new stars because, quite frankly, they are boring as sin um, outside Serena Williams for the most part. On to the NFL, where it's been an exciting slash sloppy and weird start to the season. And I'll talk about the Giants separately in a bit um, with myself and with tonight's guest. But the level of play so far has been poor. The field goal kicking has been abysmal across the league. I mean, did you see the end of the Browns-Saints game and the Packers-Vikings game from this last week? Just abysmal field goal kicking. Basic, basic football plays mundane kicks. They weren't long kicks. These were kicks that were well within range. I mean, the kicking just needs to get better. Uh, what else was going on? Uh, the coaching also has been bad. Uh, just one play from the Giants game. The Giants had a fourth in inches by midfield uh, in the second quarter against the Cowboys, and they decided to punt when they were down and they couldn't move the ball. And this is after they drafted a star running back. Number two overall, you have to go for it there. And to make matters worse, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, I'll probably bring this up again, but they went for it on fourth down, further in their own territory, twice on the next drive. So coaching across the league has been bad. I mean, you see it with the Atlanta Falcons and their red zone offense. You see it all across the league. It's just sloppy play, bad coaching, and the refereeing is exceedingly inconsistent. Exceedingly inconsistent. Now, I understand they're trying to make the game safer, and I know the refs have such a hard job to make judgment calls when these guys are bigger, stronger, faster than they've ever been. I get it, and you want to make the game safe so that the longevity of the NFL is intact and is better off for it. However, 
The Clay Matthews penalty at the end of the Packers-Vikings game that was called a roughing the passer that extended the game is not a penalty and should never be called a penalty. He hit quarterback Kirk Cousins square in the chest where you're supposed to hit the guy. He didn't go low. He didn't go high. He hit him square in the chest. That is a clean tackle all the time. That is how you teach defensive players to tackle. If you're going to call that a penalty, and even worse, justify that penalty call, saying that he drove him to the ground or something, then you might as well start playing flag football. That was ridiculous. It was bogus, and the NFL needs to do better. And now for my take on the Giants before we bring into tonight's guests. A couple of things here. One, is it all Eli Manning's fault? No. He's been bad But with that offensive line, there is really not much most guys can do. Would we like him to be more mobile? Yes. Does he have happy feet from getting hit and is holding? Does he need to hold the ball a little bit longer and take the hit to make plays downfield develop and allow them to develop? Sure. That's why quarterbacks get paid the big dollars. But the offensive line is abysmal. Eric Flowers is a Abysmal at right tackle. And Sunday night against the Cowboys in week two. And here's a rule for noticing offensive line play. If you notice the guards and what they're doing in a game, that means they're generally really bad. And guess what? They were really, really, really bad Sunday night. They couldn't pick up basic stunts, basic communication issues. It's not like they were getting manhandled physically. They just let players run free. I mean, they let rushers run free straight to the quarterback. It was absurd. Now, yeah, Manning missed a couple of plays down um, down the field, especially in the red zone in the third quarter where he eluded the rush. And he should have seen Evan Ingram, but he decided to take off and absolutely got walloped and it led to a field goal. Yes, he needs to see that play. He's not seeing those plays, and that is exceedingly frustrating. But it's a combination of the offensive line being bad, Eli being having happy feet and not trusting plays and not being good himself. The coaching is bad, as I mentioned pr- prior, with the decision to go to not, I should say, not go for it on fourth down in that situation. Uh Just the play calling in general. I mean, if you don't have a mobile quarterback and a bad offensive line, you have to get imaginative. You have to get creative. And there's no creativity. I mean, Saquon Barkley is a magician. Anybody who watches him play with that offensive line, the guy is an absolute magician. You have rushers behind – excuse me – behind the line. Every time he touches the ball, he makes the first two guys miss. The guy's incredible. You have arguably the best wide receiver in football. Get creative. There's no reason that they haven't scored 30 points in a game in two seasons. They haven't scored 30 points in a game since 2015. You have firepower. Evan Ingram, when he's not dropping passes, at least can get open with his speed. Do something different. It's it's mind-blowing. I mean, the the O-line is bad. Eli's not trusting things and hasn't been good himself. And Pat Shermer is way over his head. And if they don't win on Sunday, and the only reason why they're still alive is because the NL, I should say NL East. We're not talking baseball. The NFC East 
is in flux with the Redskins are not good. The Cowboys are not good. The Eagles, eh. So they're still alive if they can win Sunday. But if they don't win Sunday, it's time to just tank. It's time to tank. Sit Barkley, sit Odell, don't risk injury, and then just start again with a quarterback, a new quarterback next year, and hopefully we get some offensive line. I mean, it's just exceedingly aggravating being a Giants fan, especially somebody who bought into the offensive line, um, considering they spent money on Nate Solder, drafted Will Hernandez. I expected more. I... I I could forgive them for the loss against Jacksonville because week one because Jacksonville looks like a really good team even though it was a classic Giants frustrating loss. The performance they had against Dallas was inexcusable. I mean, that is just inexcusable. And if it's going to be more like that on Sunday, then you might as well just pack it in. And uh, that's uh, a little bit of a preview. I'm sure what you're going to hear um, for this uh upcoming interview with a recurring guest uh, now that he's coming back on for the second time, Jason Eisman. We're going to get into his uh, discussion in a little bit. All right. As I just mentioned, back for his second appearance, you know, he got rave reviews in his uh, debut. So we had to bring him back, especially given where the uh, New York Giants are. Uh, Mr. Jason, Jason Eisman, Jay. Best team ever. What are you talking about where the New York Giants are? Uh, stop it. Stop it. Okay. All right. Let, let, let's 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 just get get right get started because um, we spoke a couple of weeks ago before the season started. I obviously bought into the hype. Uh, you tried to throw water on my parade. Um, the Giants have thrown a tremendous amount of cold water on my parade uh, regarding you them. You had a parade for the Giants. I I was a lot higher on them than you were, so we'll just uh, leave it at that. So okay. You've watched the first two weeks, obviously. Um, what do you think the issues are? Oh, man. Where do you want to start? Well, there's um, there's a laundry list of stuff. Yeah, but... here, here's, to me, here's, here's the worst part about it. And we spoke about, I don't know, I don't know how, how much you want me to reference what we spoke about already because a lot of the things I, I really have in my mind are from my preseason rank, like kind of thoughts. Nothing's, I expected this to happen, so nothing's really been surprising to me. The only thing that was actually a little surprising was that they were kind of in the game against Jacksonville. I didn't think that they would be in that game, and I thought they had a lot of chances to win, um, and I think Jacksonville was really good. Um, so that that's that was a little surprising, but I really wasn't surprised at, at literally anything that happened in week two. I saw that game coming from a mile away. Um, they, they're they not a good team. They have an immobile quarterback behind probably the worst offensive line in football. Everyone, you know, we, we spoke a little bit, you know, in the in – the, in the, uh, before the season about, you know, oh, this is an improved offensive line and Solder and the left guard and the center and everything. And, like, at the end of the day, you still have Eric Flowers in your offensive line. Nobody, like, seemed to care about that. Uh, the right tackle is what we found out kind of an important position in football, I guess. Well, I seem to um, care about it because he's the bane of my existence as a I mean, he's the Giants worst fan. player. he's the worst player in the NFL. He's the worst starter in the NFL. I don't think I – don't, I mean, I don't watch every minute of every NFL game, but from the football that I've watched this year, I haven't seen a player – do worse at his job than he's done for the Giants at right tackle. Fact. Um, now, the fact that they brought – I mean, listen, we spoke about the Barkley thing, obviously. Um, the fact that they brought Barkley in is really, really showing <laughs> just how bad this move really was. I mean, he's obviously a great player. He's, he's when, when, when he has the right players around him, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch, and he's already kind of a lot of fun to watch because nobody could tackle him, and he's just so elusive and so strong. And everything we thought he would be, he is that. The problem is the Giants have one play, and it's 
Eli goes back to pass because they obviously can't run the ball. They literally have the worst running offense, maybe outside of Detroit in the NFL. So Eli goes back to pass usually from the shotgun or under center in a play action. It doesn't really matter. Everyone knows he's passing. And then he gets rushed because the offensive line is awful, and then he dumps it up to Saquon. So Saquon has 50 targets in two games, so he's going to put up amazing stats. But the problem is teams are okay with the Giants creeping up the field in five-yard increments and not getting any big plays. I mean, the NFL these days, you watch what Mahomes is doing. You watch what some of these guys around the league are doing. The way that you win in the NFL today is you throw the ball down the football field. I don't care what anybody else says. I don't want to hear ground and pound anymore. I don't want to hear slants and West Coast offense. That era is over. It was over five years ago, but now it's really over. And you can see how it's kind of creeping into some of the betting lines with some of the over-unders. These totals this year, I mean, Vegas is really trying to react quickly. But you, you never saw low 50s, high 40s as an average for games now. The high, the high games now are in the high 50s. You never used to see them in the NFL. I mean, just, you know, you brought up something uh, about the NFL in general in terms of where the league is going and throwing the ball down the field. I mean, just look at, you know, look at the Patriots in terms of what they just did, you know, this week and bringing in Josh Gordon, right? They could, for the life of them, they couldn't throw the ball down the field. They had absolutely no vertical threat, and they had to address it with a guy who's got tremendous talent. But let's face it, hasn't kept a job in five years. Are we going there right now? No, 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 Let's stay on the Giants for another two minutes. No, no, of course, of course. Yeah, your point is right. And I don't, want, I don't want people to think that I don't think running the ball or short passing is important in your offense. I think it's just as important, if not more important now than ever, because of how the league is going to have to adjust to the defensive rules and the fact that you're not allowed to tackle anymore. So now we have to play a different kind of defense. We have to get off the line of scrimmage. And the running game should be there. For you. You, should have, you should be able to run the ball at 4.7.8 yards easily. And the Giants run it still for their measly 2.1, which they've been doing forever. So the fact that they can't run the ball Make and the fact that they can't throw the ball down the field with one of the best downfield targets maybe the Giants have ever had, and definitely you know in the league right now. Um, to not, I mean, I know he's great on slants too, but people, I think I figured that out at this point. Maybe it's time for some double moves. Maybe give Eli a little more protection. So that's only one of the problems. Um, their defense is not really that impressive. I mean, there are some highlights, and I mean they're obviously going to miss their corner. Um, you know, their defense is I don't think really their problem. I don't even think their offense is their problem. I just think it's the whole package. It just Everything is just two steps below average. They're not the worst team in the football, but they're not close to that. They're, they're right now definitely, I would put in the bottom third of the league, probably somewhere around 22, 23. And if that's really what you want out of your New York football team, especially the Giants, uh, that's weak. Here, here's, my, here's just my quick two cents. My quick two cents. The offensive line is oh, really, really. Baker Mayfield, you see this? I heard. I just, I just saw along the Baker ticker. Mayfield Baker Mayfield. In the game. Uh, we're breaking, nice. we're breaking live news we're right live. here. For those who are listening to this, you definitely did not know that Baker Mayfield played. Yeah. On Thursday night. Uh, number one overall pick, Baker Mayfield, is making his pro debut uh, Thursday night against the Jets the uh, due to an injury. But back to the Giants. Oh, is it really? Yeah, due to an injury. Tyrod oh, Taylor suffered something. Okay. I didn't, I didn't oh, see go. what they I said. They told him because they sucked. Well, we'll get we'll get into them a Go little on. bit. Um, but the Giants, if you're and I've seen I, I've been consumed by Giants Twitter recently, and it's not a great place to be right now. Um, I know people are trashing Eli. I get it. You know, that play where they were in the red zone. Um, it was third down where he eluded the rush like for the first time in two years eluded the rush, was moving, he tried to step up, and he had Ingram across the middle of the field, wide open, and he decided to take off anyway and got blasted. 
and they settled right. for a field goal. You know exactly what I'm talking about, yep. right? I mean, quarterbacks need to make those throws. 90% of the quarterbacks make those throws, and that's a touchdown. And I know the offensive line is bad, but you're paid big dollars to not have happy feet and hold the ball as long as possible and let things develop, right? That's what you're, okay, paid, to, that's uh, what you're yeah, paid to do. I'll say yes. I have a rebuttal when you're done. Now, having said that, because and I'm gonna use the I'm gonna use the cowboy game as the more recent example. I mean, there were times where Shepard, Odell are open if he just holds it a little more and is expected to get hit. Now I know he's taken a lot of hits over his career, and we commend him for it because some of those taking of those brutal hits have resulted in Super Bowl titles. But you gotta still take the hit. You can't have happy feet. That that's what you pay you for. Having okay. said that, having said that, <laughs> yeah. if I notice watching TV, the game on television, if I notice the guards, that means we have a problem. Yes. Because the guard they just lost one of their interior linemen, which is a big problem. Yeah, the guard play was brutal on Sunday night. Brutal. Just absolutely yep. brutal. So I don't care how mobile your quarterback's going to be. If your guards are whiffing on basic stunts and you have Eric Flowers over there, you have no chance. Okay, but you could at least admit that if you put a mobile quarterback back there, there's more of a chance of him eluding that initial rush and making some sort of play downfield, whether it's running or throwing. I mean, you watch a guy like Rodgers. I'm obviously not comparing anybody to Rodgers. I'm just talking about his mobility in this case. A guy like Rodgers isn't necessarily – I know he does rush, but he's not necessarily known for his rushing. What he's known for is – Having to having to figure out where to go in the pocket to make the throw, um, that's not an easy thing to learn. And Eli, not that he's ever been greater, he's some he used to kind of be better at it and a little bit more elusive when the rush was coming. That's how he's able to you know set all these records of longevity. But he was never really a, a guy who I trusted with the ball in his hands. He just yeah, it just like makes you feel kind of cringy and uncomfortable watching him run around. And it's getting worse and it's getting really bad and it's getting to a point where this season is about to collapse. You know if, if they're not careful. Well, two things on the Giants before we go to the NFL at large because I wanted to get your take on the um, on what's going on around the league uh, mm-hmm. as sort of like a macro, you know, where, where's football at? I love um, the league. Everybody, um, everybody's, you know, trashing the Giants for passing on Darnold. And I get it. And, I, and we said this before and I'll say it again. If you're not sold on the quarterback – especially where they were with Eli's contract and the cap situation, you have to take the best player available. And it's going to look bad now, and it does. It looks bad. But I can't kill them for it. I just can't because guess what? If they're bad again, you do it. You'll get a quarterback. And, And my hottest take idea of all time is not only if this season goes awry, because if they lose on Sunday, it, 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 you should just put this one in the books. You should, they're not only going to lose on Sunday, they're going to lose miserably. You the Texans, then, the Texans are better than you think. They're not a real true ONC team. They haven't played well, but they're a good football team, especially at home in their home opener. Listen, I, I picked them to win, you know, to be a wild card team in the a, in the AFC. So I, it's going to be. I know, I know the the talent. You want to hear this? So I, I hear what you're saying. Let's let's just move on to like more g- macro Giants for a second because we we've talked about the Barkley issue and. I, I agree with you that it's it's a disaster, and I mean you don't think it's a disaster. I'm telling you that it's a disaster. Um, you're saying 
be bad again and draft another quarterback. You can try that, but who knows what quarterbacks are there next year? Who knows what number pick you have? So hold on, hold on, hold on. I say wait two years when Eli's contract is up because after that is Tua from Alabama and Jake Fromm from Georgia, and I don't know who knows how bad they could. Who knows how bad they're going? If they get a if they get a last place schedule next year and they get. They get a hold of some really bad things. They can win six games and get the seventh pick. And well, not the first. Like you can't plan two years out. Sure, I get that, but then you have to trade up. Then you, you do what you have to do. Yeah, you start you trading up. You're going to start trading the rest of your draft picks. Listen, the problem. Let, let's at least focus on what we know right now, which is where the Giants are. And I, I know you remember we spoke about their schedule. Remember before the season, we kind of ran through and we said how hard it was up front. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I was actually just looking at this today because I was curious. I wanted to see. The Giants, just the Giants' schedule in general. I remember looking at it early in the season, but after I saw those first seven, I was like, oh, man, those first seven are so hard. What's going to happen afterwards doesn't really matter because they're going to be 0-7. But today I was like, you know what, let's look at it and see what happens. So I'll just go through it quickly. They're 0-2 now at Houston, loss. New Orleans home, you can, I'll say loss, they're going to be underdogs in that game. At Carolina, you'll be a seven-point underdog. Not great. Philly home. Philly home Thursday night football is probably a, you're a four point underdog. So let's give them one, one. Let's give them one of those games. I'm just I'm not playing the dog win loss thing, but I'm just saying I'm going through the games. Atlanta at, at Atlanta Monday night football week seven. So you've gotten through your first seven. How many wins do you think? Well, I think they beat Atlanta because I'm not high in Atlanta, but whatever. On Monday night football on the road. Uh, not one of that game. The uh, only game I think they can win is the either the home New Orleans game if they if New Orleans looks bad this week then that'll be a game that, that's winnable. And the at-Carolina game, if Carolina stays as hurt as they are, is a winnable game. I'm giving them one win of those six. But listen to this. This is the after six that looked so easy before this season. Listen to what happened to the schedule. You get Washington home week eight. Let's, let's assume the Giants win that game because you have to beat Washington at home if you want to have any semblance of a season. But look, these games, actually, then you have the bye in week nine. You go at San Fran again on Monday night. I don't know why they're giving the Giants three primetime games in four weeks, but they did. At San Fran Monday night, they're probably going to be two and six at the time Tampa Bay at home, which looked like a walk in the park win two weeks ago. Now it's like a, you know, a flat game, maybe plus one plus two at home against the Tampa of right now at Philly, Chicago home, Chicago. We didn't know. I mean, I thought Chicago would be good, but you know, they look like a real juggernaut, especially on defense uh, at Washington, Tennessee and at Indy. So you finish a little, a little lighter than you definitely start, but the first 14, I mean, I, they, they could be three and 13 very, very easily again. Well, then you uh, then you start from scratch. You start from scratch again. And this way, you know, if it, if it goes awry, I do think you should shelve Barkley, shelve Beckham, save him for the next year, and then just start again. Listen, the Philadelphia 76ers ha- are a beacon of light for everybody who you know you're going to be. It took them 10 years to get good. Yeah, but if you know you're going to be bad, you, you want as many cracks at the apple as possible. So just do it's it. Not, it's, you can't really compare the NFL to the NBA. You're more of an NBA guy than me. You know in the NBA, you're, there's way more tanking in the NBA than there is in the NFL. Of course. And and again, you know, this Giants team was 11-5 two years ago. And they were 3-13 yeah, last hard, year. It's hard to lose games. I mean, it's not really that hard because it's, it's effort in the NFL, but – you don't really want to tank because it just the, the value of the draft pick after you get out of the top five is like once you're in the first round, you have to spend, you have to spend the first round contracts anyway. So to, to have a 16th pick or a 23rd pick is like not that huge a difference. In the NBA, I feel like you lose an entire level player every two or three picks. Yeah, it it's it's a little it's a little difficult uh, in the NFL, but 
Here's my one silver lining for the Giants that I heard. Um, I saw a YouTube clip of, of first take, and Kellerman said something that I thought was interesting in terms of offensive line play as a new unit, that it just mm-hmm. takes time for guys to, you know, gel and be good, um, that you can't just, like, mash an offensive line to – unit together and expect them to be on the same page. So I guess yeah. maybe that's your silver lining, but then Listen, again, that I doesn't read, sound I read you the schedule. If they played a medium schedule and they had some, some teams in there who they couldn't handle, then I would say, okay, so you want to try to go eight and eight or nine and seven and creep into the playoffs at and two, go for it, try to beat Houston and do all these things. But they're, they're not at that point. I just, there's no momentum on the team. They just all seem down. This new coach doesn't really, I don't feel like he really has a clue yet. I mean, I know he was a coach before, but I don't know. I don't, I don't, there's nothing about this team that's silver lining to me. I, I'm so disappointed. And and it really started last year. I, I, I know we spoke about this a few weeks ago. But to me, it really started last year when, when I'm going to say it again because I really believe it, when the front office benched Eli and then they got bullied by their fan base and totally changed their tune from what would have been a good plan, which would have been, Eli, thank you very much, and you've done great here, and we love you, and we'll always love you, and you won us two Super Bowls, but you're, you're done because you're old and bad. To oh our fans cried and now we're going to bring you back and build the team around you. It's not it wasn't the right way to go about it and it makes it just looks terrible from where I'm sitting. Yeah, it's not great. All right, so Look. the Giants stink. We're we're all depressed about it. Let's talk about the NFL as a whole right now. Um, and what do we make of the season so far? Because for me, a lot of the same frustrations um, that I've had with the product. Uh, the last couple of years are still there, and they're still very prevalent. Um, what, have you enjoyed, you know, the first two weeks so far? I mean, um, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that the product's bad. Um, I try to immerse myself in as much NFL talk as I can, whether it be podcasts or reading or friends and texting and this and that. I like to be involved, and I, I try to stay up to date. I'm not a, as big a Twitter guy as you are, a lot of my friends. So, I, you know, I try to get my news, you know, just from kind of listening and then feeling out the situation. But I don't get a sense that, that people are down in the NFL right now. It's really um, – I think what's happening in Kansas City is obviously an exciting, um, you know, an exciting young player. Um, I know we haven't seen it from Watson yet. Uh, we were getting Wentz back this week. So, you know, the, the, league's, the league's got their kind of their next crop of young quarterback. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of young running backs emerging all over the place, you know, starting with Saquon, but, you know, you can go all over the league. Kareem Hunt, and I know he's not had a great start, but Fournette, and every, you literally go to every single division, and you, there's, there's two or three really exciting young running backs. Um, the thing that, to me, that's kind of the only downer in, in the NFL right now is, is, the, is the, the refereeing. Is just, obviously, aside from the kicking, because that's, that was a disaster last week, but the refereeing has, has really been... Bad. I don't think it's their fault, honestly. I think for the first time, I think they were they were dealt a bad hand, um, and and the league is kind of uh, you know pushing them towards calling it a lot tighter and and calling these late hits and these roughing the passers and these falling on quarterbacks. I mean, I, I really I get it. I understand that they're trying to protect these players. I really do. And I hope this doesn't sound insensitive, because uh, I it really isn't meant to sound insensitive. It's just we're we're watching the NFL. These people have given their lives, and not for a little bit. They're, they get paid very handsomely to do what they do. Um, you know, you look at some of the top contracts in the NFL, especially at quarterback. These guys are not, you know, they're not doing this for fun. They're making $20, $25 million um, to go out and play football. And the fact that, that they're almost not allowed to play football anymore is, yeah. is 
almost ru- yeah if that's what you meant by by kind of the, the product then i agree with you if you meant the players i don't think that there's been a downtick at all in in, in the product of the actual players but of the of the overall product, I'll agree with you on the assessment. So, so yes, that that's where I was going from because in terms of the level of talent, there's a tremendous amount of young talent uh, in mm-hmm. the NFL. Uh, there's a lot of quarterback talent. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is lighting up the place. Uh, you have you have. Baker does tonight. He looks good. Well, I mean, they're at halftime right now, so we'll see. He just drove him down for a field goal at the end of the half. Beautiful. Like all right. I mean, Baker's exciting. I mean, what's his name? Uh, I mean, this draft class. I mean, Darnold looks good. I mean, we'll. I was high on Josh Rosen before the draft. I mean, we'll see okay. what happens. We'll see. But yep. it's not the talent because there's a lot of good young talent out there. It. It's the. I think there's bad coaching across the league. Oh, there's terrible coaching. I mean, I true. think terrible. the fact that. And I'm not, and again, I'm more of an NBA guy in terms of my knowledge, but I understand situational football. And it goes without saying that there's like multiple times in a given week where coaches don't know how to manage a clock. Simple, they simple just things. Simple Very things. Simple and, and it ruins the Bill product. O'Brien, I'm going to call out Bill O'Brien as the worst coach in football right now. He has no idea on any situation what to do. And Tomlin also is no better. I, well, Mike Tomlin has a whole different oh, yeah. set of situations uh, with that dumpster fire um, in terms of losing the locker room and whatever. But you know, simple but that's not, coaching. That's not what I. That's not what I thought was was Tomlin's problem. I know it happened this year. It's it's it doesn't really happen that often in Pittsburgh. They seem like a a group that kind of follows Tomlin. He seems like the type of coach who the guys love and rally behind. I actually think that that Shazier injury last whenever that was last year or two years ago really kind of derailed this team because. Their defense is very different without him, and sure. they're not winning. Yeah, and they're not winning right now. And now the whole Le'Veon situation, and now AB's coming out. It just—I I think they'll—they'll they'll figure it out because their talent is just too good. Remember you went through that whole thing two years ago where you would just all of a sudden go for two on every play, like I, every time they scored a touchdown? I actually like that a little bit. No, okay. You like it percentages, if you if you have the percentages and you're getting it X times, then you go for it. But they weren't. They just weren't. The numbers weren't adding up. And yeah. they kept doing it. Yeah, but now that they've moved the extra point back, I actually think you should go for two every time you score. I mean, how many how many missed extra points have we seen the first two weeks with the field goal? Yeah, I'm, I'm a little more old school. Get your seven points and go. I, away. I don't want six points. Doesn't do it. Two field goals. Uh, all a touchdown is without an extra point is two field goals. But I kick, need to have more than that. The kickers can kick. I don't care. So get a kicker who can. There are plenty of kickers who can make 98 percent of their extra points. So <sighs> I don't know about that. There I'm, are. I'm in 95. I'm in favor of going for two every time you score at this point with the the level of uh, depe- kicking. Depending on your team. Listen, the Rams. Saw, you saw it from the Rams last weekend. They were good at it because they have Gurley and, and a better scheme than most teams. But you can't compare the Rams to most teams. They're probably the best offensive scheme in football. I don't know. I guess I'm going to be like, uh, to use an NBA analogy, Daryl Morey over here and just go a little, yeah. uh, and go a little outside the box and you got to do yeah. it. But but about the um, about the officiating. And, yeah, it's it's been mandated from the league. And I get all that. But, I mean, that Clay Matthews hit – is a clean hit every Terrible. time. And the fact that the people in the league office were justifying it was absurd. I mean, 
You need to let them play. It, it, you know what? The problem with the NFL is is that Roger Goodell has such bad just karma and juju around him, right? Like he's done so many things so wrong. And now that he's trying to make it safer and he just can't get it right. So it's like there is an inherent risk of playing football. The old NFL regime of five years ago did a bad job of disclosing those risks. Now there's no excuse. There's no excuse not to know the risks. You know the risks. So when you enter the draft and you sign up to play, you know the risks. So let the players play. Let them play. And, and yeah, of course you want to limit the hits to the head and egregious head hunting that was in the league in the 80s and the early 90s, 100%. But you know what? These guys move so quick and so fast, sometimes, unfortunately, things happen. And also, when you, sign up to, when you sign up to play, you take that risk. And I don't think that the NFL should be officiating so egregiously that you can't tackle anybody anymore without being so a the, penalty. The, the problem is, and I agree with all of everything you said, the problem is that a lot of these calls – Forget the, the head the hits the head calls and the defenses receivers because those I think have been around for a little bit longer and I've gotten used to them. The the, the calls this year that they've changed and it a hundred percent correlates to all the injuries that the quarterback position has taken the last couple of years is you cannot tackle the quarterback anymore. I mean, if you there is a rule. I don't think people realize this. There is a rule in the NFL right now. This currently right now you're watching a game right now. This is a rule. You cannot fall on the quarterback. That's a rule in football. Outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. outrageous. You cannot have that as a rule. You have to have the same. I agree when the quarterback is running, you can now give him a slide rule that you don't give any other players. I hear that. If a quarterback wants to run, he should pay for it. If a quarterback is in the pocket and you go to tackle him and you land on top of him because that's what you're trying to do is tackle him, and then you get penalized for that for making a very good football play that just won you that down for you to get 15 yards the other way when you probably just got off the field on a sack, is really a joke. It's it's that's the part of the league where I think they have to seriously look at it. And you're also seeing a lot of the high low calls that, that sometimes are a little like it was an accident that a guy was on the floor and he went low. Like we don't need to see these high low calls. We understand there's a huge risk in playing football. You can hurt a knee at any play. You can go down and hurt a knee on any tackle at any time in any play. We don't need you to save the players by calling soft hits. It's very, very ugly to watch, and it's annoying. But beyond that, also the pass interference calls, I know it's a judgment call, but they've been exceedingly inconsistent in terms of their interpretation of the rules. It's always been that way, though. But it's just the whole thing, and – I, I, I can't even like put like my my thumb on like one particular thing, but the whole package, I mean, for example, I used to pay for red zone every year. I'm not paying for red zone this year. I don't care. Like because I can't stomach watching it so much. Like it's mm-hmm. just aggravating. So that's that's odd. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it is one. odd. And you know and, how do you watch football then? Uh, I mean, I'll watch the Giants, and then honestly, I'll just monitor on my phone. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't have wow. the stomach for it anymore. Are you turning on like a like a, a CBS afternoon game at four o'clock? Yeah, I'll t- I'll turn it on if I'm not doing anything. Sure, 
Right. But like, but like, I'm not. I don't need to be glued to a couch anymore. Like I felt like I needed to be, and I guess maybe it's because I'm a spoiled football fan. And I saw, you know, two. <laughs> I wish I wish I wasn't glued. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, because you know, people play DraftKings, and I do all that. Some people, you know, bet on games. Like you know, I I I do my picks against the spread. We'll get to those in a second. And last week was not a very good week. Um, not, not a good <laughs> week to say the least. Uh, I just, you know what it is? I, with the whole thing, I, I just don't, I, I just can't stomach it as much. And it's, it's kind of crazy because people seem to be, you know, at, as passionate about it, even though the ratings are down. I, I, I don't know. It, it, they're just in a weird transition state and, they are. and I don't know how they get out of it, honestly. They, they, it's not an issue of getting out of it. I think this is the direction the league is going. Um, they're, they're not going to change course. I think it's clear at this point um, that you know it's just going to kind of be this way. And this is the new football. It's going to continue to get worse and worse until one day they're playing two-hand touch or flag football. I honestly, I don't think the NFL has as as much time ahead of it than it had behind it. I think that we're kind of running out of years in 2030. 40 years, something like that. That's well, the football we're used to watching. Well, I, I've long said that um, when you're – because there was, uh, you know, this this affluent Jewish guy who was looking to buy the Panthers right when the Panthers were up for sale. And I know him because he, he was uh, originally from Great Neck. And I said – I was like, I can't believe that he would look to invest in a football team now because – Yeah, it's a weird, I just, weird investment. I, I mean, if if you're looking to buy into an NFL uh, into a NBA. Pro sport, NBA is one. I would pick NHL two. Yes. Um, MLB is also dying. Yeah, but I would pick baseball before before football. I would also. I would also. Weird. But anyway, that transition nowhere. goes into uh, week three. Uh, week three um, picks against the spread. Obviously, um, as we have football, we might as well enjoy. It. Yeah, we might as well enjoy it a little bit. So exactly. after, uh, for me personally, four and two week one last week, not so good. A whopping zero and five. A lot of those picks hurt my feelings. The Giants hurt my feelings <laughs> a lot. Um, so let's start with you. Um, we're doing our pretend super contest picks, which basically is your, you pick five games against the spread each week and see and see how you do. Hopefully you end up seventy uh, percent because then you can be in the money. So who are okay, your? So I'm actually in the super contest. <laughs> do you want me to just tell you my super contest picks, or do you want me to give you five different ones? No, the super contest picks. Your best bets. Okay. Um, do you want to alternate? Do you want to go first? I don't want to do this. Who? Fine. We'll all, we'll alternate because I'm sure we may have a little bit of overlap. So who's your your first I, best? I would love week? it. Have a, have, okay, I'll start. With, I'll start with the Saints going on the road to Atlanta, getting three points. I had that too. Um, okay, so that's good. Agreement is good. We can talk. We can, I'll give uh, a minute, and you can. Sure. Um, I think that Atlanta is really injured. Um, their defense right now is struggling. Uh, they're missing uh, their middle linebacker, who they desperately need to stop the run. Kamara's going to have a field day. Keanu Neal's out. Freeman's out. Um, Atlanta just played at home. They had a big home win, their first one. They had to kind of get back off the schneid after that Philly loss. New Orleans is pissed about the way that they started their season. They didn't really think that they deserved to win that game last week against Cleveland. I think they roll and win 26-21. I have that game as well. When, you know, you're picking the Saints on the road, if they're playing in a dome, it's not really a road game for them. Bingo. They're playing on the fast turf. Uh, they can get up and down, and Atlanta's banged up. I'm not. I was not high on Atlanta before the season started. Matt Ryan to me is the most overrated player in football. You hate Matt Ryan. I, I but I but I, I've been consistent in this for for three years yeah. now. Um, yeah. 
I, I love that pick. Saints plus three. It's just, a good, it's just a good spot for the Saints. It's a good spot it is for a good Saints. spot for the Saints. It's just a good, it's more of a spot pick than is anything else. It's just they're coming, they're coming in pissed. They're around, I would say they're around equal on a neutral field. I'd probably have Atlanta half a point better. Um, I just think the values are three points right here. Couldn't agree more. All right, so who's who's your second? Why don't you give the second one first and I'll rebut. I like Denver uh, getting the five and a half against Baltimore. Okay. Go ahead. Joe Flacco's really bad. I know Eli Manning's bad, but Joe Flacco's really bad. And I just don't trust the Ravens. The Ravens should not okay. be should not be giving anybody, you know, more than four points. I, I just don't I just don't trust okay, the Ravens. I agree. I, I agree with you on Denver. I don't have them in my super contest pick. I do think it's a good pick. The only reason I don't have them in the contest is because the Ravens on Sunday afternoon at home just scare me a little bit. And Denver coming off of their two home wins, which they barely got by. They are 2-0, and but they snuck past both teams. And I also heard this stat about Denver. This is amazing. People should listen to this and remember for next year. I don't know how this is possible, but Denver, I think they're 33-3 and at home in weeks one and two in the last X amount of years. If, you, if they play at home in weeks one or two, they're 33 out of the last 36, which that's, is that's an unbelievable good, stat. That's and they're 2-0 and this year. Great stat. And I think the reason is, if you think about it logically, people... Teams come in there not in game shape, and they have to go play a mile high. They're training a mile high. Teams are not ready for that. You saw what happened to Oakland last week. They ran out of gas, and then Denver got a lucky backdoor win there. Um, I, th- the only reason I would disagree is for that reason. Denver comes off two close wins for the first time as to travel east. They, they're maybe a little bit down. It's a big spot. You know, it's, it's not as big a spot for them as it is for Baltimore coming off a loss. They have 10 days to repair. Um, I would lean Denver, but it's only a slight lean for me. All right, so who's your second pick? I'll go, I'll go San Fran plus seven at KC. I, this is a pure contrarian pick. It's actually a pretty funny pick because San Fran has, has one of the worst secondaries in football. The problem Ooh. is Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City has just as bad a defense as San Fran. And I just feel like I'm getting a touchdown here when I should be getting four and a half. I think this line was two. If I look back two weeks, Went up to four and a half after week one, and now it's up to seven. I think it's too many points for it to be inflated. I think that San Fran moves the ball pretty easily. We get a nice high-scoring games uh, game. I think that they, they still probably lose. It's a tough game for them to win. Um, but I'll say this is like a 41-38 type of game, or 38-34, and they lose by a field goal. I looked at that, but I, um, I thought it's to me that was It's just contrarian. Everyone's yeah. on KC. I, just, I, I want to be against that. Where everyone else is. That's my goal when I gamble. I got I got you. I like that. All right. Th- yeah, go to your third. Pick number three. New England minus seven. Love it. Um, Same side. Yeah. Matt Patricia's really bad at being an yep. NFL coach. The Lions yep. are a really bad team at playing professional football. Uh, Belichick is going gonna, to gonna, hammer gonna his disciple. Advocate. I'm going to play devil's advocate only because it's not as fun if we agree on everything. I just want you to know I agree with you, but... Um, there's one stat I think you should just know before you continue, which is a stat that's going to support our side. And it's probably something that you thought about when you were, when you were handicapping this game. The Patriots, you know what their record is against the spread off a loss in Belichick's career at, at New England? Give it to me. 36-13. and 13. So 73.5% against the spread after a loss in the NFL, which is out of freaking control. See, I, didn't, this, see, I didn't even know that. But yep. it, it, to me, it's just a coaching even, pick. It's even, of course, and it's even better on the road. I don't, I don't remember the number that I saw on the road, but it's like a game or two better. The next best team in the NFL off a loss against the spread is Pittsburgh, 
at 58%. They're a clear 15% higher than the next best team. By the way, everybody should know that uh, the Lions hurt my feelings last week with that backdoor touchdown in that cover. Yeah, that was I had San Fran covering the number. So, so that, don't get listen, don't get down don't get too down on teams that let you down the last week, and don't get too high on teams that you won on the last week. So San Fran was up three scores in the fourth quarter. They played prevent defense against a quarterback who knows how to play quarterback. Stafford, while he might not be a winner, knows how to play quarterback, and he can easily easily move that team, especially with guys like Riddick and Tate and possession receivers who can catch and go for 10, 15 yards against prevents. It was a real, what, right when they went up three scores, I knew they were going to come back. I didn't think that they would actually get the cover, which they got the cover, which I was pissed about because they also had San Fran, but San Fran does not lose any, anything in my, in my mind or in my rankings. I still have San Fran as the 15th best team in the NFL. They're right up there still. All right. So who's your, who's your third? We got to go. Let me just give you, the, let me give you the contrarian. Let me give you the contrarian side on, uh, on Detroit real quick. Um, the contrarian side only is that New England is going to be a very public team. Obviously, you're getting the better team, better quarterback, better coach in prime time um, against a, a team that's struggling and has not shown any life. So that's automatically going to be against public. And anytime you have the public going very hard on one side, the other side comes in more often than not. So Detroit at plus seven does scare me or plus six and a half, whatever line you're seeing. But I just can't. It's so hard for me to get away from this New England line. I just think this is a blog game. Is this one of yours as well? It is, yeah, it is. All right, so who are, your, who, are your la- who are your last two? Just uh, so we right, can bang la- out quickly. You got it. Last two, I, I'm still in between Houston. I'm going to give you three, and I'll, I'll, I'll make a decision right now who my third one is, who I'm going with. I'm between Houston at minus six against the Giants. I'm between the Redskins plus three at home against Green Bay. And I'm between Pittsburgh minus one at Tampa. I'll give you the cakes quickly for all three. Houston minus six at, at Giants. We spoke about before. The Giants are really in a bad place right now. This is a pure spot play for Houston. I do think the line is inflated. I would like to have gotten at four and a half or five. I think I'm losing a point and a half of value. But Houston is, I think, they have their breakout week and they're calm down, everyone. Um, one, I listened to Mike Lombardi. I don't know if you listened to any Lombardi, but sure. he's one of my guys for the NFL. So Lombardi has a saying, and I really, really think it's, it's got a lot of weight. He, he always says offensive lines don't travel in the NFL. It's one of his big sayings. And I think that rings so true, especially for the Giants, to have to bring that offensive line into an 0-2 hostile environment against, against a defensive line who I know is still a little bit hurt with Clowney and Merciless and all these guys, but there's, some of them are going to be there, some of them won't. But either way, it's a very good defense. It's a very good defensive coordinator. I don't love their coach, but it's a very, very good team. I think the offense breaks out a little bit, a little bit against the struggling Giants. Do you agree or disagree quickly? J.J. Watt may set a sack record this week. There you go. Game two. I'm just going to say quickly on Green on uh, the Green Bay Washington game. I'm only leaning. I'm only leaning towards taking Washington here again because it's a contrarian play. I'm getting a team at home off a loss. I always like that. I'm getting a team on the road. Giving you know, if, if I were to take Green Bay in the side, I'd have to give up points on the road within the conference. It just there's nothing that's really screaming at me to take Washington in this game. It's obviously not the better quarterback. It's probably not the better coach. So it's a scary pick. But getting three points at home. With a team that I think is probably an eight or nine win team, I just like that. Um, and then the last game, I think that this is a little overreaction to what's going on with the Bucks right now. It's a lot of fun to watch, and you know they're obviously you know make, making headlines and, and fits, fits magic is a lot of fun. But this is again, this is a pure spot play. You have the better team. You know, I power rate all these teams before the season. I have Pittsburgh at somewhere in the top seven. That's probably where everyone has them. I had them around seven eight, and before the season, I had Tampa at about a twenty six or twenty seven. 
So if we're just looking at that numbers, obviously you can't because we played two games and Tampa's gone in and beat two really good teams. So you have to take that into account. But if, if I look at this line before the season starts as compared to now, I, I feel like I'm still getting too many points of value. I think Pittsburgh comes in in a, in a spot that they have to win. All one and one is not a place they thought they'd be, especially playing Cleveland. And I think that they come in and I think it's a very high scoring game. Something like, you know, for again, like 41, 40 or something like crazy I li- high scoring. I like that. I like that pick, and I like if I had to choose two of those, I would choose that one, and I would choose. I'm changing to 4138 because 41-40 would only push. <laughs> choose that one, and I would choose uh, sadly against the Giants. Unfortunately, my last yeah. two. Um, I like Miami minus three at home against the Raiders. My rule is bet against the Raiders this year. Just bet against mm, the Raiders. Careful with that. They didn't look bad on offense. The uh, Gruden and Miami's two and zero. Remember what, right, remember what I you're guess. betting on. Just I, I'm just saying. Remember what you're betting on. Always take into account what's the other side. What's the overreaction I could be making? You're betting on a two and zero team who should not be two and zero. I'm not saying they haven't played well enough to be two and zero. They right. obviously have, and they are. But they're not a two and zero team. This is not a team that's going to win eight nine games. This is a seven win team max. I so. There I are agree, but I think the Raiders are going I just think the Raiders are going to win three games this year. Okay, I'm just saying you're putting your money on Ryan Tannehill and that defense, which I know has looked good, but you, when you watch that game and Carr is picking them apart, yeah. you're not going to be shocked. You're going to be like, oh, I didn't. I, it's not. This is not a surprise to me. So see, these, I mean, the truth of the matter is, I looked at this slate and I didn't really love this slate anyway. Um, and my last one is Bengals plus three. Love that. That was the last one. So love that. So the only thing that the only the, the quick contrarian to that is the the running game is going to struggle without Mixon. He's so yeah. dominant on the ground, and Gio just doesn't run the ball with the same ferocity. All right. So before I let you go, and and we're running out of time, so I I wanted to get a little bit of Ryder Cup breakdown, but we're going to have to save that I think for another another uh, okay. segment. Baseball season's coming down to a close. Uh, we ha- I have Thank not God. spoken about the Mets <laughs> at all. Um, because they haven't You're been so rele- they haven't been relevant in the last uh, you know since the first month and a half of the year, but Jacob Degrom is having a season that is historic and tragic at the same time. I mean, True. he's got a one point six eight ERA or something, and he has and he has a five hundred record. Just just as a Met fan right now, just wax a little poetic. You know, poetically about Jacob Degrom, and uh, just talk about this season a little bit because it, it it's, so it's hard. worth mentioning. It's worth mentioning. Um, it's very hard for me to talk about the Mets right now. Um, I have a a very hard, uh, a very I'm in a very hard, weird place with the Mets. Um, you know, they they've obviously I mean not obviously you guys don't know me, but they've been my team since I'm since I'm little. I mean I'm a huge sports fan, but the Mets have been my favorite team. I, I grew up the biggest baseball fan of all the sports. Um, the team that I've wanted to see win the most, I know I got two giant Super Bowls, which is fun. I'll probably never see a cup with the Islanders, and I'm not a, I'm not a team sport and uh, NBA fan. I've gotten my giant Super Bowls. Those were fun. You know, we got those. Great. Um, a Super Bowl is not the same thing as getting a World Series. It's not even close. You live and die with your baseball team. Um, you know, you wake up and you check the lineup, and it's an everyday thing for six months. And when the Mets are good, which is rare, but when the Mets are good, even back just a couple of years to 2015 when they had that little run and lost in the World Series, it was. I don't remember enjoying sports more than I enjoyed the the the, uh, the LA and the, and the Chicago series. It was 
it was the most fun I've probably ever had in my life rooting for anything in sports. And for the Mets to take this staff that they have right now, which is probably the best, maybe the best staff they've ever had, and maybe one of the best staffs in the National League currently, maybe the best when they're all right, um, and, to, and to kind of and, and to just throw the garbage out that they throw out on offense and, and to refuse to, to hire the right people in the front office and, and, and to have those people that they do have hired just sign the worst possible players um, is just, it's just unfair. And it, it really is, it, they should, they should sell the, I mean, I've been saying this for a few years, but I've never said it on a podcast that I, I hope the Wilpons sell the team because they, they are, are completely lost. And I'm not saying anything new here because this is all over the place by now. Um, the Mets are, are an utter, utter disaster and an embarrassment of a franchise. I'm embarrassed to be a Mets fan, honestly. I mean, DeGrom's season is on par, well, almost on par with Pedro's 99 and 2000 run. I mean, it's not the I mean, yeah, it's pa- not the AL uh, East. It's not the AL East. Felix Hernandez, yeah, didn't Felix Hernandez win a Cy Young under 500 a couple of years ago? Thir- like five years 13 now? and 12, if I'm not mistaken. 13 I think and 12. Okay, so I mean, DeGrom is 8-9 and nine with a 170 ERA, 202 innings pitched, 251 strikeouts, and a 0.95 whip. I mean, those are obviously already, I mean, he still has another couple starts. Those are just in and of itself, just because he has 30 starts, they're already Cy Young-worthy numbers. Um, I don't think the people who, who give the Cy Youngs out really care about records so much anymore. I think that was more of a thing, you know, 10, 15-plus years ago. Um, they know that the game has kind of changed a little bit, and, you know, there's a little bit more bullpen involved, and pitches are coming out earlier, and games played a little bit differently. So you don't want to be 8-9. and nine. I don't think, you know, I think that definitely hurts him to be 8-9. and nine. But, I mean, there's, there are clear and obvious sets to look at the run support and to look at these numbers. It's not like he's going five innings every start and, shutting people out. He's going eight innings and nine innings and shutting people out. I mean, the guy is, is absolutely lights out. Thank God they have him signed through 2020 and he's only making 7.4 million. And I'll just tell you quickly. I just looked this up today. Thor is making 20, uh, 3 million until 21. Um, Wheeler is through 19, making 800,000 and Matt's through 21, making 577. Obviously those are arbitration numbers. So they'll go up a little bit based on the market, but they're all 30 or under, the Grammys will be 32 in 2020 when he's done. And for the Mets to, to throw this crap out with these four starters and, and mix in, yeah, it's just it's so sad to watch. So very sad. It's it's really a travesty. I mean, it's it's the most – it's a tragic season because on any other team, he has 19 wins at the minimum, and yep. he's starting in a playoff series because he swings yep. it that much. I mean – Yep. There was talk about them trading him to the Yankees. No, you can't it, trade him. It, you, have, it, you still have him for three seasons. You if, he was, if he was on the Yankees, he would have 25 wins. And the Yankees yeah. are exceedingly disappointing for their record, whatever. I've, I've spoken enough about them. Um, but it's right. just I felt like I owed the people that he needs to be mentioned. It's an honorary yeah, I, I mean, he has, he has two more seasons, not three. But, yeah, he, he needs to be mentioned. He's... He's having one of the great um, seasons for any Mets starter and any really National League starter that I've seen in a long time, and he deserves to, he deserves better than this because I mean, he also is like if you if you hear his interviews, he's like he's such a good guy. It just seems like it's such a sad situation with him. He's just like he's pitching so well for nothing. I mean, this is better than Clayton Kershaw that we've seen recently, and Kershaw's yeah, considered phenomenal. one of the greatest pitchers of all time. All right, thanks again to my uh, excellent guest as always, Mr. Jason Eisenman. 
pray for the New York football giants that they're not absolutely atrocious. And if they want to be atrocious, get that tank job ready. That is episode 32. For the love of the game, take us out, Mac. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.